Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Chapter 2, 13 through 17. Welcome. Glad you're here this morning. A call to submit to governing authorities. Now, this is one of our favorite portions of Scripture. And I'm sure many of you are already starting to say, well, this is a good time to start into slumber time. But I'm going to ask you just to stay with me as we share something that I think you'll find exciting and something challenging. It seems as if today we are living in difficult, turbulent times, does it not? More and more people are looking to government for solutions, remedies, and direction. Yet at the same time, our natural tendency is to be distrustful, skeptical, and even bitter at government systems and elected officials and the bureaucracy that's necessary to run those things. So we have kind of a love-hate relationship with our governing authorities, civil authorities, so on and so forth. Our nation's history is replete with men and women that stood up against what they perceived as unjust government interference in laws. But not only ours, history itself is full of stories of people rebelling against their rulers and masters for different reasons, mostly due to the cruelty, unfairness, and injustice of those that abused their authority. Today, Christians are faced with the prospect of living in a culture that is less friendly to the Christian faith than ever before. In some cases, it's outright hostile to our faith, and they have declared war against the biblical worldview that we hold, hold dearly. Unfortunately, these cultural warriors have intimidated and convinced the government to codify, to make laws that goes directly against the Word of God, making our lives of living out our faith much more difficult than it ever has been. From previous weeks, we have seen that Peter has called us as Christians, as elect exiles, to pursue holiness, obedience, brotherly love, and to long for the Word of God. These commands are based on the fact that we have received God's mercy and salvation and an eternal inheritance that is being kept for us. And once again, we see that privilege leads to responsibility. The privilege that you and I receive as believers, the church, is that we're a chosen race, a holy nation, God's own people, His possession, and recipients of God's mercy. This is a privilege for those that He have chosen. Two weeks ago, we learned that with privilege comes responsibility. And the responsibility of believers is to proclaim the excellencies of God. And this proclamation is simply that God has called us out of darkness and into the light. We learned that Peter's theme for this section that we're going to be looking at is salvation through submission, of submitting as we, we work out our salvation. Peter will be calling the elect children or the elect exiles, the children of God, the church, to submit to God, we saw that two weeks ago, to government this week, to those in authority over us who submit in marriage and in church relationships. Peter has been moving as we've worked our way through this letter from individual commands to instructions for relationships between believers and then now to relationships with those outside the world. Let's look at verse 13. Let's read that together. 
silently as I read out loud. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as the servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Father, we come and we have to admit, as we read this passage, this is difficult words to hear, especially in these days and times. I pray that you would just open up our hearts to truly examine our lives and our spirits, not just what we say, but in our hearts, that we may respond to your Spirit's work this morning. Be with me as we speak. Lord, let us uh, edify your word or edify your word. And Father, that we just build up the body, that we may be a great witness for you. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. You may recall from our message two weeks ago that Peter called on the elect exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh because our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior who will take us to where we truly belong. We abstain because we saw that those who do not abstain or if we indulge in the passions of the flesh, we have no hope. That we, we also realize we've been rescued from those passions that were commanded to kill and run from those passions. Those passions will lead us to destruction. Peter had commanded us to keep our conduct among the, genita, gen, the Gentiles. I am just going to have a t- tough time already. The Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of, vin- of visitation. Peter is informing us that our responsibility as children of privilege is to witness to others. And he stresses that our conduct, the way that we live our lives, is an important part of that witness. Peter is calling us to maintain a life that is pure and holy. We're to pursue virtue virtue and goodness, understanding that our lives are under the microscope of people who are suspicious and skeptical of God, the Word of God and the commands of God. Later in this letter, Paul remarks that Christians are treated with suspicion and hostility due to the way that we live our lives. He says, for the time is past, suffice us for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised, he writes, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. The early Christians were accused of rebellion against the government, of atheism because they would not worship Caesar, of cannibalism because of their belief in the Lord's Supper and leading the slaves into insurrection. Thomas Schreiner wrote that Peter's hope was that unbelievers would be compelled to admit that the lifestyle of believers is morally beautiful and this omission will bring them to saving faith so that God will one day glorify, be glorified on the day of judgment. And this leads us now to the way in which we lead our lives in respect to the government, to government authorities, civil authorities. It leads us to a relationship with those that govern on, on, over us. Again, the formula we see in Scripture is the precept, principle, and person. The precept is simple. The command is to willingly submit to authorities, civil authorities. Not grudgingly, but out of compulsion, but to willingly submit to civil authorities. 
This includes the President and Congress, Supreme Court, governors, mayors, police, IRS, and other government authorities. The principle or the why of that is because it honors God and it serves the purposes of God as we live quiet and peaceful lives. The person, the character of God that is on display is that he's be feared because he is the one that has instituted all of government. So what we're going to do now is take some time and break this down. Look at verse 13 if you're in your scripture, in your Bible. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperors, supreme, or to governors. You see, it is God's will for us to willingly submit to authority. Not because they are the ultimate power, but because they are ordained by God, serving as God's agents, and most times unwittingly, and sometimes in direct conflict, but they serve as agents of God. The command to be subject means to place or arrange under, to bring under the influence or to be subordinated. This command is also given by Paul that we read in our scripture reading earlier where he said, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there's no other authority than that of God. Paul told Titus to remind his congregation there in the first century church to be submissive to rulers and authorities. When Peter writes the Greek word that translates to human institution, he points to the fact that government is something that was created ordained by God. Here's a couple points I want to give you. Number one that you must understand is that everything is created by God to serve his purposes. Everything is created by God and serves his purposes. In Genesis 1-1 we are told in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The apostle John records a wonderful song of praise in Revelation where it says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they, were, they exist and were created. Scripture tells us that this world was created very good and that man was given the mandate to guard and keep the garden as they multiplied and were fruitful. However, we all know that our first parents failed in doing so. In sin, they rebelled against their creator, plunging the entire world into, dis into disarray and slow death. Sin infected the whole human race and creation as we are all guilty and deserving of hell. And when sin entered the world, government was needed to mediate God's kingdom so that it may not fall into anarchy. In Judges chapter 18 through 25, I would encourage you one day to read that portion of Scripture. It just seems like something taken from a, from, a, from a bad movie. We read of the devastating effects of no effective government in the 12 tribes of Israel. In Judges 17, it notes that in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. With no effective government, you see sin at its worst. And we know the results of that type of worldview where everyone does what's right in his own eyes. But it should be noted that that view is gaining traction again as there is my truth and I want to live my truth. And you must not only accept it, but you now must approve it and live by it as well. In Genesis chapter 9, immediately after the flood, when God judged and condemned the world because the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every attention of the thoughts of his heart was only evilly, evil continually, he commands Noah 
And God said, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. In other words, if anyone kills, if one, anyone murders, he says his fellow man will bring him into judgment and into punishment. So everything is created by God to serve its per, his purposes. And so number two, governments were designed by God to execute justice and defend the weak. Governments were designed by God to execute justice and defend the weak. In verse 14, Peter informs them that they are to submit because civil authorities are sent by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Paul, in his letter to the Roman church, makes the same point. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. They are actually to get the approval for those that are good. The duty of government is to promote good and punish evil, even though the government itself many times may be evil themselves. Thomas Schreiner, one theologian, notes that even those, the most oppressive governments, even the most oppressive governments hold evil in check to some extent, preventing society from collapsing into complete anarchy. Obviously, we know that not all authority is righteous, good, or even fair. Some are evil and cruel and ungodly, yet God has called us to willingly submit to them as they are God's agents. God himself cries out in Psalms 82, looking at the world, crying out to Israel, says, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless, God himself cries. He says, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hands of the wicked. You see, it is the responsibility of the government to execute punishment swiftly. King Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. It's also the government's responsibility to follow the law themselves. Both Daniel and John the Baptist rebuked kings for their negligence in doing so. Daniel counseled King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. He says, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. That there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. John the Baptist, no wilting flower in the face of sin, condemned King Herod, saying it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. In this case, Herod had defrauded his own brother and the law of God in taking his sister-in-law as his wife. And then number three, everyone is subject to God's law. Everyone is subject to God's law, even those in power. Take your Bibles, if you would. And turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 in the New Te Old Testament. Here we're going to see Daniel praise God after a vision. In Daniel chapter 2 verse 20. Daniel says this. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. To whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. 
He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. The king Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, boldly proclaimed that God the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Everyone is subject. Now we must remember that Peter, like Paul, is writing at the time of emperor worship. There was intense pressure to accept the cultic worship of Caesar as God, as well as all the various gods that the people worshipped. To refuse to do so meant social, economic, and personal persecution, as well as, let's not forget, maybe even the forfeit of their life. However, as children of God, Christians could not do so, yet at the same time, God called them to submit to Caesar and his officials. Surely Peter remembers Jesus' instructions to submit to civil authorities in his teaching. In Luke chapter 20, Jesus responds to those who ask, Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar? Responded by, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and the things that are God's, the things that are God. Paul would write to the Roman church from our scripture reading, Paid all what is owed, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. <coughs> Both Jesus and Peter and Paul submitted to civil and religious authorities even to the point of death. Jesus, whom Scripture says, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were made or created in heaven and earth, those things that are visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all these things were created by Him, submitted to the cross, to the religious and political leaders of His day. This example is for us as well. For the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Philippians, he says, Have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Though he's in the form of God and, counted, and did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, he emptied himself and became taken the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Christ is not asking you to do something that he himself has not done. Peter, Paul, and the apostles themselves would agree with what Peter writes. And they themselves paid the price for that submission. So you and I are called to willingly submit to governing authorities who are ordained by God, who serve God's purpose. Next, I'd like to move to the principle of why. Why are we to do so? We are called to submit to civil authorities. Well, let's look at verse 15. Very simply, for this is the will of God. Peter really hasn't left the principle ambiguous, has he? He plainly states, this is the will of God. Frankly, you and I do not need any more reason to obey this portion of Scripture than what he says right here. It is the will of God for us to willingly submit to governing authorities. As we have seen, God has created an ordained government to serve His purposes in mediating His creation. They serve some willingly, some unwillingly, and some unwittingly, but yet they serve God, not themselves. Though they may think so, but they're foolish in their thinking. Now this can be very difficult for us as elect exiles. 
Many times government is hostile to our faith, and in some places it's outright dangerous as we look around the world. Here in America, you and I have been fortunate, but we are slowly seeing that change. As our government is moving more and more hostile to our faith, it's becoming harder to be obedient, respectful, and grateful, is it not? It is. And I think we all ourselves would say that there are times in our minds and our hearts that we have been disrespectful in our hearts. We have become disobedient, if not in our actions, but in our heart. Yet God has designed our obedience. Listen to this. God has designed our obedience to His command to accomplish our responsibility to proclaim the excellencies of God who has called us out of the darkness into His marvelous light. Our very obedience to government serves as a witness. For Peter writes in verse 15, look at that, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 5. In here we see again the teachings of Christ. By submitting... Elect exiles, the Christians, by submitting to government authorities, we show that we are not anarchists. We are not uh, looking for insurrection. We are called to let our good be visible and known. Peter probably is recalling this teaching of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 13. Jesus told this to the believers. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the what? The world. Your city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the people in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our obedience to our governing authorities, whether it's to the president or whether it's to the meter maid, gives glory to God. It gives witness as children of God. You may recall early in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 12, as we said earlier, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Unfortunately, our beliefs and worldview will not always be looked upon favorably by the world. And that's where we stand today. As we are seeing today, many people are outright hostile to the biblical worldview, especially when it exposes their sin and hateful, hardened hearts. Yet Scripture informs us, that godly lives of the believers will put to silence any false charges raised against them. Citizens of heaven leads to good citizenship here. Please take a moment. I'm going to bring your attention here to the video. And I want to share with you a vivid picture of how one Christian Egyptian family exhibit this very thing after the cold-blooded shooting of their husband and father. Would you take a moment and watch this powerful video? I'm sorry about this, and I'm not happy. I'm not happy from this work. I say, God, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm not happy. But I ask God, that he's done, and he's gone. I ask God, that he's done, and he's done. 
ويحاولوا يفكروا شويه يفكروا يفكروا صدقيني لان هم لو فكروا احنا ما بنعملهمش اي حاجه صدقيني ما بنعملهمش حاجه قولهم فكروا تاني فكروا ان انتوا بتعملوه ده صح ولا غلط وربنا يسامحكم واحنا مسامحينكم بامانه بقولها مسامحكم ومصدقيني لان انتوا حطيتوا لي ابو ولادي في مكان ما كنتش اتمنى العمر كله صدقيني بامانه يعني انا عمري انا بفتخر بيه وبتمنى اكون انا جنبه صدقيني يا منشي واشكرك يا حبيبتي اقباط مصر مصنوعين من فولاذ اقباط مصر مئات السنين بيتحملوا كوارث ومصايب كتيره القبط المصري يعشق تراب بلده القبط المصري يتحمل كل شيء عشان وطنه وايه كميه التسامح اللي عندكم دي لو اعدائكم يعرفوا قد ايه انتم متسامحين بجد ما كانش حد يصدق انا لو ابويا والله ما اقول كده ابدا الناس دي عندها كميه تسامح عن حق عن عقيده دول بني ادمين والله مصنوعين من ماده ثانيه الله يرحمه عم نسيم بطل وشهيد ومثل اعلى للي قاعد كل واحد في البلد دي يقول لك هي البلد دي ايه والبلد دي ماشيه ازاي؟ البلد دي ماشيه كده. البلد دي ماشيه بالصبر بالجلد بالتحمل بالست العظيمه دي بالعيال اللي خلف ما ماتش ضرباهم وعمل رجاله رجاله powerful video this is a Muslim man saying look at these Christians look at the substance of their lives I could never forgive them but yet look how much they love this country this is powerful this Muslim man is strongly impacted by the forgiveness of this Christian woman may God bring him into the kingdom by this family's witness that was my prayer as I first saw this You may also see how he compared their love for Egypt with the Muslims who are constantly complaining and criticizing. This woman's good deeds, at least for the moment, has silenced the ignorance of foolish people. And may God give us the same courage and strength. It's a powerful, powerful video when you consider the pain and what's going there. Instead of mumbling and complaining, God has called us in verse 16 To live as people who are free, not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Again, Matthew chapter 17, if you want to turn there very quickly, I won't wait, but Matthew chapter 17, verse 24, Matthew records the time Peter came to Jesus about the temple tax. And in verse 24, this is what's recorded. That when the disciples and Jesus came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of this earth take toil or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, 
then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up. When you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. You see, yes, we as children of God are not enslaved by this world any longer. Our citizenship is up in heaven. We serve a greater power than that of the United States government. Yet, Dr. John MacArthur writes that freedom in Scripture is not a license to sin, but expresses itself in devotion to that which is good. He goes on to note that though the Christian's true citizenship is in heaven, he must still live as obedient citizens in this world so that God will be honored and glorified. Listen to this. Rebellious conduct by a Christian brings dishonor on Christ. Rebellious disconduct by a Christian brings dishonor on Christ. You see, our goal, we are to please God. Peter, or Paul, excuse me, informs us whether we are at home or away, we are to make it our aim to please Him. We do so by honoring God's authority. Paul speaking about how he handles money, but is a good principle to apply in all matters, notes, for we aim what is honorable, not only the sight of the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. And this is what these Egyptian Christians have done. Peter is also telling us this obedience comes not just from fear of punishment or just lip service, but from the heart. Peter is simply writing that there's no excuse for you and I to indulge in sin. True liberty is the freedom to do what is right. Don't choose evil, he's saying here. Ultimate loyalty belongs to God and God alone, but he has called us to willingly submit to his agents. In verse 17, Peter ends with four commands. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. When he says honor everyone, he's coming back and letting us know that we all are created in the image of God. For God said, let's make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That could throw us in all sorts of tangents. But let's say here, God is saying that we are to love everyone, love our neighbors as ourselves, because all men and women are created equal. So we're to honor everyone. We're to love the brotherhood, fellow Christians. We're to bind together. A new commandment, he writes in John, I give to you that you love one another. Just as I love you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another, as well as to fear God. In other words, he says, fear God. It's not fearing government for fear's sake, but it's recognizing that there's only one who can destroy both body and soul. In Matthew chapter 10, in speaking about Satan, demonic influences, and others, Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What Peter is telling us and what Paul told us earlier is that when we rebel against the government in an ungodly way, in a wrong way, we ourselves are rebelling and grumbling against God himself. And so we must be careful there. Fear God then honor the emperor is just respect them as God's agents. I know it's popular for people to say, it's not my president, it's not my this, it's not my that. 
But you know what? God hasn't called us to that. He says, he is God's servant for your good. Now, we may not uh, believe they're always working for our good and for our betterment. And many times they're not. But yet they still serve the purpose in go- purposes of God. Paul said one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of our conscience. So there's the command. Be subject to those human institutions that have rule over us. Why? So that we can put to silence the foolish challenges and indictments of others, but that our good works may be a salt and a light, a shining, a witness to those. We're commanded to willingly submit to government authorities as servants of God in order that we may proclaim the greatness of God and that he may be glorified. Our very obedience, our very obedience will accomplish God's purposes. Still, you may ask, and I think these are good questions, what if our government, what if our politicians, our civil authorities, what if they're evil? Well, you and I must acknowledge that government is also broken, sinful, and needs restoration. Romans 1 tells us that. They did not see to fit to acknowledge God, so God gave them over to a debased mind to, be not to, to do what ought not to be done. He says they're gossips, they're full of envy, murder, they're haters of God. They not only know God's righteous creed that those who practice such things deserves to die, Scripture says, but this is where I want you to go, if they are evil. The Bible tells us not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice. Just because he's called us to submit to our authorities does not mean that we approve of those things that God does not approve of. God has given us, by his providence, a country in which we can protest and protest legally. The Bible tells us that we are to stand up when our rulers are wrong, when our rulers have walked off God's commands. As Nebuchadnezzar and John the Baptist did, we must be willing to pay the price. But unfortunately, I don't think we have many Christians willing to pay that type of price. But we're not to approve of when they're evil. We should call that which is good, good, and that which is evil, evil. You may ask, okay, but what if they compel me to be evil? The problem is, and there's two two, two problems, is usually where we have been for generations is we allow the government to do these things, and we say, oh, that was bad, that's not right. But as long as it doesn't affect me, we're okay with it. For the most part, we're silent and we're complacent. That's what I meant in our pastor's prayer. We ourselves many times has been guilty. I asked myself, I, you know, I was young, so I, I want to be careful. But where was the church in 1972 when the Supreme Court said abortion is the rule of the land? Now, I'm sure many of those things were, but where was the outrage? Where was the witness of God at that time? And I want to be careful because my generation is just as guilty as this generation before me and so on and so forth. We now live in a day and age in which they are calling evil good. We cannot approve it. We must stand against it. Our voices must be heard together that this is not right. But then there's another difference. That's when they now compel us to do evil. And unfortunately, you and I are now at the place where in many cases they are compelling believers to do evil. They want us to call what is evil good. Well, in Acts chapter 5, famous portion of Scripture, Peter and the disciples are brought before the magistrates. 
They brought him, they set him before the council, and the high priest questioned them for their preaching. And they strictly charged them not to teach in Jesus' name. They said, you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter, who's writing this, said at that time, we must obey God rather than men. So there is a time in which our obedience to God will cause us to be disobedient to our government. Now again, frankly, we live in a country that allows us to do so legally, to protest, to stand up against those things. Wayne Grumman writes that God requires His people to disobey civil government if obedience would mean directly disobeying God. But that comes at a cost. And so the question today, are you ready to take up that cross? Is there any way in which you're giving approval to evil? Is there any way in which you're now uh, uh, enjoining yourself to be compelled to do evil? In Daniel chapter 3, we read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I, I would assume many of you know the story, maybe not all. But there are three young men that were sent to Babylon with Daniel, and they were put into the service of King Nebuchadnezzar. And you may recall that Nebuchadnezzar set up a statue. He was the supreme king in all the land. Many, we've already mentioned him many times here. And he says, when the music plays, everyone must drop down and bow and worship me. But there was three men who would not, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who wanted to obey the king in all areas, who served him as servants of God, as elect exiles of God, would not do so at this time. They never approved of his evil, and they would not be compelled to evil. This put Nebuchadnezzar into a fury. And at those days, they had a big furnace. He threw them into a furnace to be burnt up. But Scripture tells us that he stoked the fire so high because of his anger in their disobedience and their rebellion, that he stoked it so high that when they threw them in, that the men who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire themselves burnt up. They were willing to pay the price for their disobedience to the authorities, but obedience to God. Now we know the story. They did not perish in there because as he was looking at it, Nebuchadnezzar in his, his fury and in his vengeance looks in there waiting to see them burn to a crisp. But instead of seeing them burning and yelling and screaming, he sees four men in there. And he says, did we not throw three men in? Why is there now four? And he says, this one is like one who has the appearance of a son of God. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And amazingly, these three men come out from the fire. The scripture tells us that the civil authorities, the satraps, and the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors all gathered around, and they saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. Not even the hair of their head, heads were singed. Their cloaks were unharmed, and there was no smell of fire upon them. Look at what Nebuchadnezzar said. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered 
his servants, who trusted him and set aside the king's command, who trusted God and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own God. I wish that could be said of us this morning. Could it be said? Could that be put on our tombstone? Would others look and say, these men were willing to serve God, no matter the cost. Therefore, as I read scripture, Nebuchadnezzar says, I make this decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now our obedience to God and defying the government will not always lead to an escape and a promotion. Yet we're to obey God no matter the circumstances or consequences. Let us be thankful and grateful that we live in a nation that allows us many freedoms. And let us use those freedoms wisely for the glory of God. Lastly, let me end with the words of the Apostle Paul you see here on the screen, who wrote to Timothy, First of all, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and for all who are in high positions, that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. For this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. May God grant us this opportunity to proclaim His excellencies as we willingly submit to our governing authorities. Let's pray. Every head bowed and every head closed. The worship team comes up. I'd like you to take a moment to pause, to consider the word of God, to pray and to respond to the Holy Spirit. What is he calling you to this morning as we are called to submit to our governing authorities as we live out our witness that others may come to know him? May God prepare us to do such a thing. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Again, these are difficult words, especially difficult words, especially in a, a time when our government seems more hostile to our faith and to our worldview. Father, show us the ways in which we've approved of evil. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us for the time when we must stand against the compulsion to evil. Make us ready and may our witness be bright that we may share the gospel of God that they may come to know Jesus as their Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, 
submit prayer requests and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.